Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. April 29th serves as the American observance of Arbor Day in 2022. Arbor Day is a holiday celebrated here and in other forms around the world as a day to celebrate trees by planting them, as well as promoting education about our forests. And this year's Arbor Day is extra special as it marks the 150th anniversary since the first modern Arbor Day was celebrated in the state of Nebraska. Now, I did a pretty extensive history of Arbor Day in my Cottonwood episode last year, which left me unsure about how to approach the subject this year. But looking back on my script, I realized I gave scant time to the person I consider to be the unsung hero of this most woodsy of days, Birdsey Northrup. While Birdsey Northrup did not invent the idea of Arbor Day, he was an early environmental activist who helped push the idea of the holiday onto the rest of the country, as well as introducing it to numerous countries around the world. So for the 150th Arbor Day, we are going to take a look at what Northrup did to make the craze for trees go global, as well as discuss how tree planting holidays took shape internationally. So who was this man, Birdsey Northrup? Northrup was born and raised in the state of Connecticut in the early 1800s. He was raised working on his family farm, but deeply loved his time in church and left home as a young man to study theology. Northrup first thought that he would become a preacher, but after some time spent in the profession, he realized what he was actually passionate about was education. And of all the things he could teach, Birdsey most enjoyed teaching others about trees and forests, and of the difference a more natural landscape makes. One dream he always had was to see New England reforested. When European colonies were established in North America, their primary goal was to, well, colonize. They saw extensive tracts of woodlands in their way of creating a civilized region with towns, roads, farms, etc., and so, over the 1700s, forests were cut down to make space for urban development. And over the 1800s, more forests were cut down in order to use the wood for products like timber for construction and pulpwood for paper. And at this point in history, the idea of replanting forests in order to sustain their resources was not at all common. There was a lot of forest land back in those days, so no one thought about when they would run out. Birdsey Northrup was aware of the damage this kind of resource exploitation would cause. But he wasn't a forester. He was simply an educated man who wished to educate others. And as any good educator would do, Northrop explored alternative styles of instruction so as to find the best method for educating his peers. This pursuit frequently took him to Europe to observe their different forms of education, particularly with how they educate their youth about forests and how they manage forest land in general. Over the years, Northrop wrote a number of papers and essays detailing what he had learned regarding the disparity between American and European systems. His thoroughness in this pursuit earned him a position in government in his home state of Connecticut, serving as the secretary of the State Board of Education. During his tenure, he published what I consider to be his most pivotal work, Tree Planting, Forestry in Europe. I cannot tell if this paper is a breath of fresh air to see such a reasonable approach to environmental policy being made so long ago, or if it's infuriating considering that the very environmental topics that are so highly politicized today were actually being discussed almost 150 years ago. 
but it's true. The modern idea of how we treat our natural landscapes did not start in the last few decades with hot-button issues like global warming or holes in the ozone layer. They did not start in the 1960s with silent springs and the Cuyahoga River fire. Birdsey Northrup saw such possibilities in our future simply based on the idea of what deforestation on its own does to a landscape. This essay is available for free online via Google Books. I have the link to it on this episode's page on my website. You should try and find some time to fully read it, but to summarize, it starts off by explaining how America's landscape has changed since Europeans settled this country, specifically in regards to the impact of cutting down forests for towns and farms without replacement. He talks about water and air pollution, the impacts on biodiversity, and soil erosion turning fertile fields into wastelands. And Birdsey Northrop, in the 1870s, talks about climate change. In context, what he describes as climate change is not exactly analogous to what we see happening today. He is referring to how forests and individual trees create what are called microclimates. A microclimate is when a small local area has different atmospheric conditions, and potentially even weather patterns, compared to the overall larger area surrounding it. The example with forests being how trees can provide shade from the sun or block otherwise strong winds, making a forested area cooler and calmer than the surrounding countryside. Northrop's point is that if you take an entire region covered in forests and drastically reduce the amount of forest land in it, that region is going to experience entirely different weather patterns and climate trends. Or, to make it even simpler, he knew that increasing urbanization without sustainable practices would lead to new and unfavorable climate conditions. Northrop's foresight doesn't come from nowhere, either. He cites Europe as an example for what could happen to America. Various European countries have, at some point or another, fallen into the pit trap that is reducing forest land without replacing it with observable consequences. He uses France as a specific cautionary tale, presenting how a countrywide trend in forest reduction led to changes in climate trends and how they have, in recent history, as per Northrop's period in time, passed laws to ensure regrowth of their woodlands for a better future. And while it takes time for climate trends to bounce back, after a decade, the country had already bore witness to increased land productivity for crop and livestock production, as well as more stable river systems, thanks to these new laws and increased woodlands. Ultimately, his whole point with this essay was to promote tree planting. He spends some time talking about the pros and cons of various native species, with a particular fondness shown towards ash trees. But he also discusses the idea of replacing degraded forest lands with species not native to the region. And this is a point of short-sightedness that I find important to point out. I've mentioned in numerous episodes how whatever the topic tree is that week is threatened by some invasive fungus or disease introduced alongside non-native tree species. Birdsey Northrop didn't have all the answers, but his overall goal was necessary. The Connecticut government recognized this, and had him advise policy regarding forestry in their state. Shortly after, the American Forestry Association created a committee that existed to promote a tree planting holiday across the country, and they selected Birdsey Northrop to serve as its chairman. Sure enough, in 1886, Connecticut became one of the first states to make Arbor Day an official state holiday. But what did those early celebrations look like? Aside from tree planting, a big focus was on education. Northrop was, after all, an educator. 
and so tree planting and the importance of forests was to be the focus of the state's schools on that day. But of course, there was also planting trees. The biggest push was to have farmers plant trees on their land, primarily for shade and wind shelter, so as to help replace the forest that was originally cut down to make room for agriculture. The ultimate goal, outlined by the state, was to see Connecticut reforested by the end of the next generation. And as much of a motivator as it is to say that these actions will make a better life for your grandkids, there were also economic incentives. For the first five years, the state government paid landowners 10 cents annually for every healthy tree that was growing on their land. These had to be approved trees, though. Native species like elm or maple or oak or productive trees like apple trees. In today's standards, that 10 cents now has the buying power of $3. Still not a whole lot, but if you have just 100 trees growing on your land, that would turn into an extra $300 on your tax return. I'll take that. Believe it or not, this financial compensation was absolutely necessary, because Arbor Day, and tree planting in general, had opponents. One vocal dissenter by the name of S.S. West straight up hated trees. At the annual meeting of the Connecticut Board of Agriculture in 1888, they are quoted saying, <clears throat> I want to say, on this matter of tree planting by the roadside, that there is no greater farm waste than shading your farms by useless trees. It is one of the growing evils of farming in the state of Connecticut that we are permitting these trees to grow in every corner of our land and around every fence, and they make our farming land look hideous. Cut them down! Too bad for S.S. West, tree planting was here to stay. By the end of the 1880s, 34 states had adopted Arbor Day as an official state holiday, and in 1970, the holiday was made national. But this idea is not uniquely American. Birdsey Northrop didn't stop with just his homeland. Before he retired, he pushed the idea of tree planting in countries all around the world. I talked about how Birdsey Northrop traveled back and forth between Europe and America in his pursuit of proper forest practices and education, but the Connecticut educator was known to visit many countries around the world to promote a tree planting holiday. And America wasn't the only country guilty of destroying its woodlands. When our neighbor to the north, Canada, was settled by Europeans, they saw a very similar practice of replacing old growth forests with towns and farms. Canadians saw the benefit of a tree-planting holiday after it became popularized in the States, and several provinces adopted an Arbor Day of their own. Here and with the other countries I'll mention, we also see an emphasis on forestry education in schools being an important part of the holiday. This is likely from the influence of Birdsey Northrop being an educator, and pushing the importance of knowledge alongside good practices. But after the first few decades, initial excitement towards reforestation waned in the Great White North, and by the early 1900s, Arbor Day was basically a holiday in name only. The Canadian government tried to revive it a few times. They tried to connect the symbol of maple forest with Canadian patriotism, a phenomenon which I discuss in my sugar maple episode. And in 1920, they tied tree planting to a new forest fire prevention week in response to an increase in wildfires that their country saw alongside the United States. 
But the tree planting holiday still lagged behind the United States until both countries hit a bigger environmental movement in the 1960s. In 1967, Forest Fire Prevention Week was rebranded as National Forest Week, giving attention to trees for a whole seven days. Each year, the week changes its overall theme. Some years it is still focused on forest fires and wildfires, but it has also been more focused on things like forest health, forest resources, forest habitats, etc. But in 2011, the Wednesday of National Forest Week was redesignated as National Tree Day, so that every year there would be a specific day of the week focused on tree planting specifically. Another country that Birdsey Northrup visited had zero trouble at all adopting a tree planting holiday. Australia's first tree planting holiday was celebrated on June 20th, 1889, and in the South Australian city of Adelaide, it was an event. Explicitly following with the tradition of the United States, the focus was on schoolchildren. But it wasn't just about them learning forestry in the classroom, these schoolchildren were the central contributors to the whole tree planting affair. Prior to the chosen day, a selection took place. Some students were designated as the planters, and the rest were simply non-planters. On the day itself, everything started with a parade. Children were lumped together by school, and each school was led by the non-planters. They served to introduce those luckiest of students, the planters. Trumpeters trumpeted and singers sang as shovel-wielding students wearing rosettes smiled and waved to the crowds. From there, I simply must read the excerpt from Adelaide's newspaper, the South Australian Register. When the procession arrives on the ground, the elect children, who are to plant trees, will be separated from their less favored brethren. The schools will be divided into squads, the planting squad and the non-planting squad. The planting squad is to be arranged with due care, one child to each hole. It may be hoped that a certain amount of fitness will be observed, and that every square hole will command the attendance of a square child. When the word is given, the trees will be planted, a great celebration will be over, and the children of the schools will have received a lesson on the value of arboriculture. While Arbor Day celebrations that followed were never met with quite the same level of fanfare, the holiday was one that very easily stuck around. Every Australian state adopted their own Arbor Day, with Victoria going so far as to host an entire Arbor Week. In 1996, the national government established a countrywide tree day, as well as a school's tree day, so that students can still feel like the holiday revolves around them. Although, maybe with a little less class hierarchy. One more place that Birdsey Northrup strongly influenced was the country of Japan. He didn't end up visiting the country until the final few years of his life, but communication had been strong with them for over a decade. As they were coming out of their long period of global isolation, Japan ended up sending some students to Dr. Northrop to take advantage of his worldly views of education when it proved tough for him to make it to them. But when Birdsey finally made it to Japan in 1895, he met with their vice minister of education to discuss the idea of Arbor Day. This conversation was seen as important enough to be highlighted in the U.S. Department of Agriculture's review of forestry that year. According to this report, the vice minister was very interested in the concept of the holiday, but not so much the tree planting aspect of it. Of course, working for the country's education department likely led him to some bias towards primarily using the holiday in just the classroom. He thought it would be a good way to specifically help new generations of Japanese students get interested in the botanical arts and better connect with their country. 
These talks very well may have helped develop a more refined curriculum in Japanese schools at the time, but it doesn't seem to have directly led to a tree planting holiday like in Canada or Australia. A tree planting holiday was eventually established, but it wouldn't happen for almost a hundred years after Dr. Northrop's visit. Upon the death of Emperor Showa, also known as Hirohito, in 1989, Japan created Greenery Day in his honor. Apparently, the late emperor was incredibly fond of plants, and the nature of the celebration was to honor his passion. Like I said, the holiday has a focus on tree planting, but is generally considered to be a day of nature appreciation. But now, let's put the focus on you. How can you participate in Arbor Day? Be sure to look up when Arbor Day is celebrated in your area. As I've explained, each country does something a little bit different at different times throughout the year. Even within the United States, each state has their own day when Arbor Day is observed. Most of them do align with the national observance though, which is always the last Friday in April. That's April 29th this year in 2022. But some states change the date based on how soon or late spring shows up for them. For example, I'll be in Alaska for Arbor Day this year, which isn't observed until the third Monday of May. I'll put some resources up on my website about how you can find tree planting events in your local community. There's probably more planned for this year than in the last couple years, so now is a great opportunity to get involved. If you've never planted a tree before, absolutely consider it for 2022. It's a very easy way to feel more connected to a given area. When I was in college, I received grant money just to plant some more trees around my dorm. And now anytime I go back and visit, I still see the tangible impact I had on my community. You can also consider donating to organizations who work to restore forests, basically paying other people to plant trees for you. And of course, you should spend some time educating yourself about the importance of trees and forests. Thanks to Bursey Northrop, that's an integral part of celebrating Arbor Day. You can do this by listening to this podcast, or showing it to your friends and family and help educate your community. However you choose to spend this 150th Arbor Day, make sure to reflect on the impact that forests have on your daily life and appreciate the wonder that is our natural world. In two weeks, I will return to cover an icon of the American South. Or at least, it was an icon. On May 3rd, I'll be telling you the story of the longleaf pine, a tree that creates its own wonderful ecosystem, but was once very close to disappearing forever. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their awesome stuff at academygarden.bandcamp.com. My cover art is by at Boomerang Brit on Instagram. My script editor and social media manager is the wonderful Lori Hilburn. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees or on Instagram at Tree Podcast. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. <laughs>